0: I think as parents, sometimes we're so, you know, telling our children to do all the right things, like always tell the truth and tell, you know, but if we can't do that ourselves when we're telling our kids to do that, then we discredit everything that we're saying to them and they're going to grow up and they're going to see us for who we really
1: are. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Nitha, and this is your oasis, your destination to be all things, just a little bit more brave in your actions, in your life, and in your relationships. And wow, okay, we are in studio today in Los Angeles, and I'm so beyond excited to bring a woman whose story is forever going to shift and tantalize you in ways that will give you Hope and will maybe and hopefully open up doors to healing. This is a story about survival, and she is the author of the best selling book, Glimmer. Kimberly Shannon Murphy. And let me tell you about this queen. She's a leading Hollywood stunt woman who has served as a double for numerous A-list actresses performing in 133 feature films and television shows, including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Captain America, The Eternals, The Old Guard, Bird Box, The Hunger Games, The Lone Ranger, I mean, and so much more. She's a Taekwondo black belt. She received the 2020 Taurus World Stunt Award for Best Fight in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's a two-time Screen Actors Guild Award winner for Best Stunt Ensemble and has been recognized with numerous award nominations. Now, when I got a chance to listen to her story, it was so... Awe wrenching, heartwarming in so many ways. And I'm so glad that we are able to bring her in studio today to talk about her newest book, Glimmer. Now, Gabor Mate, the New York Times bestselling author of The Myth of Normal, says reading Kimberly Shannon Murphy's searing and vividly told memoir is like watching a gripping work of cinema verite. Each scene demands our attention as the plot moves towards its dramatic conclusion. Powerful and inspiring, a story of suffering and shame, resilience, and redemption. And in our conversation today, we are going to talk all about maybe sometimes needing to cut family ties, when you know you're enmeshed in relationship, and maybe what steps that you're able to take to start to heal, and when it's time to forgive and maybe not forget. And if you are in a space of healing, what are those next steps? If you're a survivor of abuse, sexual abuse, childhood trauma, this is the episode for you. So I'm so, so excited to welcome Kimberly to The Brave Table. Thank you so much. I feel really good about myself after that introduction. I mean, I'm like, wow, wow. Well, I was just kind of, you know, looking at even some of the stunts that you've been able to do and just, you know, the polarity and the paradox with such a big book that you wrote about trauma. Yes. And how are the two related in your life and and where I kind of want to start with you in such a profoundly written book is it's almost like you were the poster child of trauma and how did that then relate to you being the number one stunt woman that no one could ever guess that you've been through so much yes nobody could ever guess
0: that What I've really realized is I think there's a huge correlation between people that do extreme sports and that have childhood trauma. I think there's something about us pushing our bodies to an extreme limit that we're really comfortable with because we don't really know ourselves and know our bodies or know that we actually have limits. And now that I'm sort of on the other side and really... I feel like deep into my healing, I'm able to really look at that for what it is. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing it, when I was working and sort of not really taking care of myself and, you know, the times that I did get badly injured at work, which wasn't many, but when I did, I wouldn't take care of myself. I'd stay at work. I wouldn't go to the hospital. Everyone would, you know, be telling me, Kim, you need stitches. And I didn't care. I didn't really think
1: that I was worth enough to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So where and when did you get the idea that you wanted to write this memoir to kind of share the fullness and the grappling of, you know, the rawness of your story? The interesting thing is I started writing it about 20 years ago
0: with my entire family at the time. Wow. With my sisters, my mother, and my aunts. And it wasn't really a book at that time. It was more us just journaling and it was sort of just regurgitating all of the painful memories that we had. It was very cathartic at the time, but it definitely wasn't necessarily the most healthy way to do it. And so it's been something that I've wanted to do. And I wasn't until recently or till I started really writing the book where I felt like it was something that I wanted to tell in the way that I wanted to tell it and I couldn't do that until I got to that place in my
1: life. Yeah. And when did you realize, you know, kind of growing up in the childhood trauma and the sexual abuse, when did you realize that you had agency in in the way that you began to tell your story? I didn't. I mean, when I
0: came out and told the truth about what was going on, my grandfather who was my abuser was dead. I was 15. I told my mom. My mom sort of freaked out, brought me to therapy, didn't know she even had a therapist. Turns out she was dealing with her memories at the same time. I had no idea. My dad didn't believe me. It was a lot of just still pushing me down and not validating what I had experienced. And I didn't know at that time how many people he had hurt until I probably got into my 20s.
1: And this was pretty much all of the women in your family? Pretty much. Wow. And what was that like to repair the relationship then with all of the women in your family?
0: Right now, I don't have a relationship with anybody in my family. My aunt, who was the first one to speak out about the abuse when she was nine years old, and also was completely... You know, my grandmother, who completely knew what was going on, my grandmother, you know, approached my grandfather. He said she misinterpreted something. And then that was that. And it was put to bed. And so she sort of lived with that her whole life. And then when things started coming out with everybody else, she was sort of my person that really listened to me and really helped me. And probably about 15 years ago, she got Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And wound up in a home. And so I kind of lost... She passed away last year. Kind of lost her. And through writing the book and really sort of looking at things for what they really are or were, it's been really difficult for me to have a relationship with anybody right now because everyone's just in a different place. And I'm trying to get to a very different place. Yeah. And everyone's journey is different, and everybody's pain is different, and everyone is choosing to deal with it in their own way, and it's just not how I'm choosing to deal with it.
1: Mm. Yeah, and even reading Cameron Diaz, you know, she wrote the foreword to your Mm -hmm. book. And, you know, there's this text that I have here, and I'm just going to read a glimpse of it. Glimmer, the book, is a companion for anyone who has endured trauma at any level. And it is a beautiful tribute to the strength and the power of the human spirit. What gave you strength during all of those times? The times when I was younger or the times now? Well, the times when you were younger and even now having written this book, because I'm sure you had to relive a lot of it to then get to the other side.
0: When I was little, it feels like I was really just in a fog. It was like I went through my whole childhood. He died when I was 11. So the abuse started when I was three. So it was my whole childhood. And then when he died, it was like me just trying to make sense of what happened and there is no sense to be made of something like that. So it was just really me just trying to figure out who I was and why this happened. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of pain. And when your family doesn't really acknowledge it for what it is, you become sort of trapped in this just really painful place. I don't know. I always had, and that's why I named the book Glimmer. I always just had like a spark inside of me that just knew that I was meant for more, that this was not what my life was going to be, and that I could change it and make it different and better, and that I was going to use my pain for a purpose.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, clearly you have because doing a lot of the... like. How did you get into being a stunt woman? How does one even go about doing that?
0: I was a gymnast and an acrobat. And then I danced with Alvin Alley for a little while in college and then went on to travel the world and perform with like a circus, Anti-Gravity. They're kind of like Cirque du Soleil, similar. So we traveled the world and did that. And then a lot of my friends were just getting into stunts and like, oh, you should send your stuff to this coordinator. And I was like, okay. And I did. And he called me like the next day. <laughs> and so that's just what happened. And I never stopped working after that.
1: <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, and, you know, it, it seems as though during some of your stunts, did you ever feel like there was a primary emotion that would come up from the traumatic background that you were coming from.
0: I don't think I really recognized it then, but I will say that
1: when I started doing
0: stunts, I was really good at it. And that made me feel good. It gave me sort of like a self-worth that I didn't have before in my life. And so I really hung on to that and just kind of rode the train of like one movie to the next, the next. And I spent probably 12 years on the road just going from movie to movie. And I had So many actresses like Cameron, I was in their contracts. And so I was just working, working, working. And, you know, as they say, when you're doing that in general and you don't have time for yourself, you're, you know, kind of masking what you need to look at or what you need to deal with. And I definitely was doing that for a long time. Mm
1: -hmm. Because on the other side, I can even, you know, see that. When people come through our doors for any sort of healing in any of our programs, many times the primary emotion can be anger or mm. rage. And it'll come out by like bashing things and throwing things. And which is why, you know, I even have a rage room in my garage, in my studio. And I'm watching some of these videos. And I mean, these videos of you just like, you know, jumping off of buildings, mm-hmm. like riding in motorcycles, going through fire. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining maybe even subconsciously there was this like anger and rage that was able to be processed maybe. Yes. Well, and to make you be so good and like win all of these awards to process some of that anger and pain and, and rage even.
0: Yeah. I think I channeled it through that way for a long time. And also there was something about my, about physically injuring myself that Felt really comfortable to me and really good to me. I think part of that connected with my cut. I was a cutter growing up. Okay. And part of that, I think, connected with that sort of, you know, when I was injured on the outside, people were always asking me if I was okay. And I didn't think that I realized at the time how much I needed to hear that from people in general. Of course, it wasn't about what was going on the outside, it was about what was going on the inside. Yeah. So there's so many dots that I'm connecting now the place that I'm at in my life that I definitely was not connecting then, that I was just sort of living and doing, Mm. thinking that they were normal. Have you forgiven him? And what does forgiveness mean to you? It's interesting because I did a podcast early on and she asked me the same question. Do I forgive him? Do I forgive my mom? And I kind of got really angry and sort of said something That was really angry. And so she sort of took that and made it a clip into, you know, on Instagram. And, you know, I sort of got my first like (laughs) attack on social media. Just, you know, but when I watched it back, it was really interesting for me because I'm like, oh my God, Kim, there's so much anger. Like you're so angry still. And of course I am. And that's something that I'm still dealing with and working through. I think. On a
1: daily basis, we can rage any day, Kim. Yes. Any day, come <laughs> come to my rage office. Be careful what you wish for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw some stuff. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um,
0: but you know, I did an interview with Dr. Imani, and it was really interesting because I spoke to her about her feeling about forgiveness, and I've always just felt like I don't need to forgive to heal and she has a book coming out, and she went on to talk about how there's actually science behind it, that if you forgive someone who constantly hurts you and abuses you, that is actually bad for your mental health. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I have been doing the right thing. I don't forgive him for what he did. No, I think there are some things that are not forgivable. I do. And I just know as a mother now to imagine something like that happening to my child And then saying to her that she needs to forgive that person, I just don't, I don't know. I don't see that, you know? Yeah.
1: Your daughter is nine. Capri. Mm -hmm. And when she was born, what responsibility or what feelings did you have of either sharing this with her or, or protecting her? What came up for you? A lot came up for me when I
0: had her. That was a really difficult time in my life because she, you know, came out of me and I was like, oh my gosh, I have like the biggest job on the planet right now. And all my fears of my childhood came up and I started having like panic attacks and I had a really hard time breastfeeding her because it brought like back memories whenever I fed her, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I like Googled it and I was like, breastfeeding and trauma, you know, and it's very common. So every time I tried to feed her, I would have a memory, get anxious. I could feel she would get anxious. So I had to stop doing it. And then I just pumped and sort of, I still had the feelings, but at least I wasn't sitting with her having them. Mm -hmm. So I pumped and did weights in the mirror. The same time. And um, <laughs> of
1: course, because I'm looking at your arms. <laughs> they don't look that good for no reason. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so I did that and then I just fed her bottles. But that was a really, really difficult, hard thing for me because I realized how much he was still affecting my life and now my child's life. And that was a really difficult thing. <sighs>
1: reading your story and, you know, some of the details and the, you know, you go into the graphics and the details of, you know, this was in front of your dolls. And that Mm -hmm. was like the, you know, the one in, you know, there's just even thinking that I have a daughter who's two Mm -hmm. and, you know, to think that whoever I leave her with, that is like, you don't mean it to be in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. But I can't imagine if you had gone through what you had gone through and mm-hmm. then just being paranoid for every yeah. single person that's mm-hmm. alone with your child or even putting them in. How did you... No one's alone with my child. <laughs> how, did, how did
0: you cope with all of that? <laughs> no one's alone with my child. That's actually a true statement. Before she could talk, that was a really difficult time for me. I didn't let anyone alone with her because she couldn't speak. And couldn't express herself. So I was terrified that something would happen that she couldn't speak or talk about. And what you asked before about if I planned on telling her, I always did. I always felt like it would be a disservice to her if I didn't explain who I was, because then she could never fully understand me and why I may have done certain things or not done certain things. And at the end of the day, I can't change my past, but I can teach her how to stand in her truth. And I think as parents, sometimes we're so, you know, telling our children to do all the right things, like always tell the truth and tell, you know, but if we can't do that ourselves, when we're telling our kids to do that, then we discredit everything that we're saying to them. And they're going to grow up and they're going to see us for who we really are. Mm -hmm. And I just want her to always see me for who I really am
1: give the gift of brave conversations to yourself and to others. Now, the long-awaited Brave Conversations six-week course is now available. And we've talked about having brave conversations. And honestly, the number one thing most people are afraid of is having brave conversations in their life. Now, don't let this stop you. No more ghosting, avoiding, suppressing, or denying. Learn how to share your voice boldly in this six week action packed course. You will learn the actual steps on how to have confidence and clarity along with a brave support posse so that you can practice in our community that meets twice a month. Along with me as your coach in the process, With a jam-packed workbook to chart your journey and for a limited time until November 28th, unleash the free Brave Conversation card deck and affirmation deck with purchase so that you can practice right away and have deeper and more brave conversations in your life and be bold in those 2024 goals. Head over to neetabuchan.com. That's N-E-E-T-A-B-H-U-S-H-A-N.com. Forward slash brave conversations for an exclusive discounted rate for our brave tape listeners. Now back to the show. Do you feel like you are cutting the generational patterns of trauma with her being your next generation? It's interesting. So I've done a lot of like
0: psychedelic work through Dr. Matei, Not a lot. I've done like three or four journeys. And my last one was exactly that. It was about... Is it ayahuasca or is it psilocybin? No. I did mushrooms and MDMA Mm -hmm. with a doctor, like with me. But the last one I did was all about like my lineage. And basically all of these people showed up. You know, you sound crazy, but when you're in it, it's like a real life thing happening. And it was all of the truth tellers in my family, like in my family lineage that were just kind of came to let me know that I had done the thing that was going to break the cycle of the abuse and of the not telling the truth and all of that, and that my daughter was going to be the start of the new lineage. So yes, I do believe that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's been so interesting, you know, the use of psychedelics because that was part of my journey of healing as well. Some of my losses and even my toxic marriage and relationship was the use of deep psychedelics from ayahuasca to DMT. And of course, with different practitioners, shamans, and, and now the amount of research that's pouring into the benefits mm. of, you know, rewiring new neural pathways because mm. you're having a psilocybin journey you know, AKA mushrooms or, you know, and pairing it with MDMA. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to be, you know, the, it's I think it's got the approval that certain therapy practitioners are going to be able to utilize it mm-hmm. in therapy. It's just profound because it helps you connect back with your heart. What did you find? And was there any sense of compassion for the younger version of you? Oh my gosh. Yes. It
0: was honestly the most life-changing from the first time I did it, which was probably a year and a half ago to now. It was the most life-changing experience. My first journey, it was my child self just like showed up in front of me Mm -hmm. and she just looked at me and said like, what took you so long? And we sort of like went for this walk on this path and held hands. And she was, you know... My doctor was so amazing, but she was like in the clothes that she was abused in and she was bleeding. And like my doctor like had me go in and change her and sort of take care of her. And it was after that that she just started showing up so much in my life. Like I would look down at my feet in the shower and they would look like tiny. Mm -hmm. And I remember emailing Gabor and I was like, I don't know what's happening if I'm still on drugs or... (laughs) And he's like, no, once you connect with your inner child, she's going to show up. She's going to start, you know, she, I was so angry at her for so long. Like I would look at pictures of her and feel super disconnected and just feel like you never fought. You never, you know, why didn't you tell anyone? Why didn't you fight? And through the journeys, I realized how much she actually did fight and how much so many memories come up in the journeys, how much I'm sitting here today because of her.
1: How was the process of writing the book? And what were some of the practices, maybe that you did, you know, to help relive and kind of get through,
0: get through it all? It was really a process. I had a ghostwriter who was incredible. And the interesting thing about that was that I would write and we would meet and we would talk, and then she would sort of make it really beautiful and make it all make sense and send it to me. And then, chapter by chapter, and I would have the opportunity to read it in a way like I was reading someone else's life, but it was actually my life, which was a really interesting thing for me because I realized in those moments how severe my trauma was, how horrific my childhood was, and it really helped me look at things for what they were and also like who else played a role in all of that, that it wasn't just my grandfather, that it was everybody else that sort of had their own role that they were playing in order for that, the abuse to even happen in the first place.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. And in terms of your own healing, do you think you are done healing? No. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think we're ever done
0: healing? No, I actually don't. It's funny. I was just... Brain that today, you know, I don't think we're ever healed. I think it's an ever-growing journey. And once we heal one part, another part pops up that we haven't worked on or need to look at. And I do a lot of IFS therapy too. Dr. Schwartz endorsed my book as well. And yeah, you got everyone. Yes. You
1: got you got everyone in the trauma space to endorse <laughs> this yeah. book. Yeah, Dr. Schwartz is, is internal family systems. Yes. Yeah. And I will link the book that he wrote in the show notes. No uh, bad parts. No bad parts. Thank you mm-hmm. for. But how did IFS help? Well, what's interesting
0: is I did therapy with him for about six months, and my girlfriend is like, Of course you did. <laughs> I just, you know, I went to a conference with Gabor and spoke on stage with him and met Dr. Schwartz there. Mm -hmm. And that's how we connected. And my doctor who does the journeys with me is a student of his. So everything just sort of happened and he started seeing me and he just does this amazing work. Have you done any IFS? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. A lot of our stuff is
1: based off of IFS. Okay.
0: Yeah. So it's just all parts work, as you know. And... I remember in one session that I did with him, I had just done a journey a few weeks prior. And when I got into the journey and I started, you know, having thoughts and things, I was no longer in the basement. So, the basement of my grandparents' house is where (laughs) a majority of the abuse happened. So, I was very happy to know that once I started the journey, I wasn't in the basement anymore. And I said that to my doctor, like, I'm not in the basement anymore, you know, so happy. And then I feel like too, if you do psychedelics and then you do IFS, it's very similar Mm -hmm. without the psychedelic aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I felt very similar working with him. Like I could go super deep. And he does say that if you do psychedelics, that you're able to sort of really go deep into his therapy, which is how I felt Mm -hmm. when I worked with him. And one of the sessions, you know, we sort of, you know, he has you close your eyes and And I'm like, oh my God, I'm still in the basement. (laughs) And he's like, no, it's just a part of you that's still in the basement. So we need to figure out what part of you that is. So I just think we have a lot of parts. And I think when we suffer trauma, we have more parts that sort of branch off to sort of cope with the magnitude of what's happening to you. And... I don't know how many parts those are (laughs) inside of me, but they're not going
1: away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's where the continuous work is to even check in and say, okay, what part of myself is this that Four-year-old part of me or the six-year-old part that was bullied, or the seven-year-old part of me that got left at the playground or wasn't picked for dodgeball. You know, and there's and they get anchored and Mm -hmm. they get anchored in our system. And, you know, to your point around even the work around psychedelics, and then going deeper, whether it's internal family systems or any other healing modality or somatic work or energetic work. I think that the research that's coming out around psychedelics is because of the neural plasticity Mm -hmm. that's being expanded because now your neural pathways are getting rewired Mm -hmm. and you're starting to open up different parts of your brain that was dormant, which is why you're able to go even deeper into your healing journey. Right. And that, I think that it's just been so fascinating to see how it's not taboo anymore. Right. It's kind of become so much more mainstream. So what is your advice to anybody that is like stumbling across this podcast and listening to this or watching this on YouTube and maybe is a survivor Mm -hmm. of childhood abuse, sexual abuse? What is your advice for them in their healing journey?
0: Well, I'd first of all say that my book, I wrote it so it's not triggering. It actually isn't. That was my biggest goal with this because I wrote it for survivors and I didn't want a survivor to pick it up and have to close it in the first chapter because it was too much. It's not written like that. I don't go into details so much of the abuse because it wasn't necessary to do that and I didn't want to. But I also think like what you're saying about the parts part is that also when we become adults, if we don't start doing the work on ourselves and we don't start surrounding ourselves with the right people, we could still have those parts breaking out off of ourselves, right? By being in relationship with people that are really triggering and not healthy for us and abusive, whether that's a parent, a sibling, a partner. And so I think we can still continue to create those parts that we then have to heal. So... I think it's really important as you start your healing journey that you really need to shed those people in your life that are toxic and not healthy. And unfortunately, a lot of times that is our family. And it's not a personal thing. You know what I mean? As sad and hard as that is. And there's so much grief that comes along with it. I'm not just saying it as, you know, just a whatever thing because I've been through it. But it is really important when we do start healing because I haven't been able to take that next step until I did walk away from everybody that was still sort of keeping me in a space that wasn't healthy for me. Mm.
1: What role did shame and or
0: guilt play in your story? I never thought I had shame. (laughs) I I never thought I felt ashamed of what happened to me. And I think part of me feeling like I didn't have shame was because I always spoke so openly about it. When I had my memories when I was 15, I spoke to all my friends about it. And I thought that equaled me not having shame. But what I realized is, is I just needed people to tell me they believed me. Mm -hmm. Which I then realized how much shame I was carrying because I felt like no one was going to believe me and that I didn't deserve to be believed. And that was my grandfather's voice in my head from all of the years of him just, you know, doing what he did and saying the things he said. And that became really apparent in one of my journeys when I wanted to tell my doctor one of my memories. And I just needed her to tell me over and over. I'm like, I just need you to tell me that you believe me. I just need you to tell me you believe me. And that was me just needing an adult to tell me because when you're in that space or when I was in that space, I really felt like a child. I needed her to tell me that she believed me. Like a lot of times, she was probably very tired of saying it to (laughs) me. And when I came out of it, I realized how much shame I still held, and that I actually did have a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. The guilt part is, I think, really attached to our family. We feel, or I felt guilty about speaking my truth, or Mm -hmm. that it wasn't the right thing, or because it hurt this person or upset this person, where at the end of the day, it was just the really big, you know, carpet that everyone had built to keep us sort of where we were and not have to look at things. And that's how my family sort of lived. And so me speaking out and speaking my truth, I always felt guilty about because I knew that it wasn't what anybody else wanted.
1: Right. And, you know, for all of the ones that are listening and those who probably or have had people in their lives who've experienced any sort of abuse, any sort of sexual trauma, any sort of being gaslit Mm. and not being seen or being heard. What is your hope for the book? And what is that message that you want everybody to take away from reading your book? I
0: mean, the biggest thing that people have been writing me on Instagram and stuff that I've, like this one girl wrote me the other day, thank you for existing. Like you have given me permission to like feel everything. That's all I ever wanted with this book. That's the reason I wrote this book. I wrote it for myself, obviously, because doing this was something I just needed to do for me and my daughter and my family that I've created, but also just for every survivor. I know that if there was a book out like this when I was 15, it would have changed my life 100%. And that's just what I hope that this can do for however many people it's meant to do it for
1: and what is that message that you're giving to your younger self that you're worth it yeah before we get into our Amazing, igniting round. And I just want to honor you because your resilience, your tenacity, your glimmer of spark and just the way that you have kind of lit this room up literally (laughs) as you were walking in here. I mean, it says a lot to what you've been able to not only accomplish externally, but how you're paving the path for so many people in just being that person to go first. And I just so honor you in that. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Okay. So where can everybody get the book? And where can everyone follow your journey? Because if you aren't following Kimberly on IG, I mean, I just get inspired by all of your posts. Thank you. It's the longest
0: handler in the world. (laughs) Kimberly Shannon Murphy stunts. It's just a short, yeah. And that's really the only so, like I do have a Facebook and stuff, but it's the only one I really sort of use actively. So that's the best. Kimberly space. Shannon stunts.
1: Okay. Kimberly Shannon Murphy stunts. Okay, got it. Oh yeah. Okay, the whole thing. The whole Kimberly thing. Shannon Murphy stunts. <laughs> and getting the book, you can get Glimmer
0: anywhere you get books. Amazon, of course, is always the easiest way. But yeah, I mean, Barnes and Noble has it. Harper Collins has it. So yeah, and also on my website at Kimberly Shannon
1: Murphy. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, here we go. What does it mean to be brave in this season and stage of life? To stand in my truth. That's where your power is. I truly believe that. And what is one practice, whether it's books, music, dance, meditation, psychedelics, what is one practice that's truly elevating and nourishing you at this season and stage of life?
0: Dance has always been a huge part of my life. I feel like whenever you feel really stressed or really having a difficult time, if you just like put on the radio and dance, it's, you always feel better afterwards. (laughs) So fun.
1: What's a favorite comfort food that you have? Pretzels. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Mm, One word that describes the season. Mine. Mm. Well, folks, Kimberly, Shannon Murphy, this glimmer is a story of survival, hope, and healing. It is just so beautifully done. And I mean, you literally hit the nail on this one with a foreword by Cameron Diaz. I think everyone should definitely get this book. And you know, Brave Table fam, anytime we bring authors into our field, we obviously always want to support. But I love this book so much because this is literally the trauma-informed book. You've got Dr. Nicole LaPera on this, Bruce Perry on this, Richard Schwartz on this. And I mean, just how beautifully told the story is, is honestly for anybody to get to start the new year, to bring and create your own healing circle, to have a book club with some of your friends, girlfriends, and to really talk about the things that maybe sometimes are kind of put under the rug. And I feel like you've just given all of us hope and light in that. So just a glimmer here. Thank you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Until next time on The Brave Table. Wow. Wow. Welcome back to The Other Side. What a mind blowing episode. And thank you. Thank you so much for being here you all just add so much value to the brave table and go ahead and follow Kimberly Shannon Murphy stunts on IG. And what are you waiting for? Get this book. Glimmer is out now. It's a story of survival, hope and healing. And I know that is just going to fully shift and change your relationship with trauma. And you know, Again, get it for a friend, get it for a family member, get it for your coworkers. Start talking about a lot of these things. If you are a mama, maybe this can brave some of those conversations with your littles and how to have more of that awareness and to not come from a place of, you know, shame or guilt, but just as these normalized conversations in your household. It has shifted my entire relationship with my children. And honestly, Kimberly Shannon Murphy has, like, this book has given me tools in so many ways. And if you are so curious about the journey of psychedelics and healing in your relationships, in your life, check out some of the additional podcasts in the show notes that will support your journey for being brave in your life, in your actions, and in your relationships. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week. And if you've loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend, a family member, coworker, someone that needs to have more brave action in your life. And if you haven't already given us a five star review, we would so, so love that. It helps us get even bigger guests. And if you can just screenshot your five star review, and send it to support at globalgrit.co. That is support at globalgrit.co. When you screenshot that and send it to us, we will send you a free gift. Thank you for being here. You matter. And don't forget to be just a little bit more brave.